Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 114 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 21st, 2010. We got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. The NFL Draft, one day away. Thursday is the first round of the NFL Draft. Uh, We'll be talking about the NFL Draft throughout the show. We're also going to talk some spring football in the first segment. We got Coach Harvey Hyde, who was out there again this weekend looking at the uh, USC players and coaches in action, giving his thoughts and opinions on that. So we're going to talk to him in the first segment. Again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you guys out there. Just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Any questions you want about recruiting, about the team, about the draft, anything like that, anything that's going on, anything USC, we'll try to answer those questions for you. And as we said, we love to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde, in the first segment. He is joining us all the way from Catalina Island. Coach, what's going on, sir? Well, I'm stuck on the island. Can you believe that? I'm I'm over here, and it's raining a little bit, and the wind's blowing, and they got two red flags up and trying to get off the island. So it looks like I might have to stay another day. I'm not sure. Uh, A little too rough for me to swim across, so... (laughs) So I decided to, to do the, the show from here and uh, try to get back across, and uh, we'll make it happen. But I'll tell you, uh, it, it was great last Saturday out at uh, at practice because there was two tremendous events. There was a swim with Mike con- uh, fundraiser that was going on. I know a lot of people went over there, and I saw him there. And by 11.15, I was looking up on the on the big diving board where they had the total and everybody looked up there, they were already at $849,000, which is absolutely fantastic. Mike Nyhold and Ron Ora basically put that on, and it's just grown to be a tremendous event. And then after that, I walked on over to the football field and had a chance. I uh, didn't watch many of the uh, drills because I was over with Swim with Mike, but then I got into the scrimmage part of it and, again, saw a lot of the parents and people there, and, it was great uh, being able to uh, see spring practice. And, again, I'll be there this Saturday. So I, I think it's uh, going well, and let's talk about it. All right. Yeah, well, Coach, hopefully you can get your private helicopter off the ground over there on Catalina, get back to uh, the mainland. But if not, I mean, if you can't, then I don't know how you're going to enjoy some sporting events. And if you need tickets to sporting events, Southern California Tickets is a place to go, sctickets.com. Check it out. That's where we go when we need tickets. And if Coach can get back here where there actually are arenas to watch sporting events, like the Lakers, who just finished uh, two game, first two games of the playoffs, uh, winning both at Staples Center. But you can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287, sctickets.com. Thanks for your sponsorship and helping make the Peristyle Podcast what it is. And Coach, I know uh, if you do get back over here and you get to check out practice on Saturday, what kind of what players came uh, impressed you? Did you come away from impressed with uh, after watching some of these practices at USC? Well, you know, uh, I'm going to get away. Believe me, I'm going to be there Saturday, <laughs> so I'll be out of here. I-, I want you to know that there's no way. After a while, you know, it's time to get off the rock. I love it here, but it's time to get off the rock. So I'm going to be over there on Saturday. In fact, you and I uh, on Thursday will be doing a radio show together in Pasadena. I'd certainly like to invite everyone to come on over and uh, listen to both of us. Uh, We're going to be out at 6 p.m. from the Burger Continental in Pasadena at 535 South Lake. And then at 7 p.m. I'm going to have the women's soccer coach on. That's USC Trojan Talk, which will be Coach Ali. So if you'd like to come over and have some dinner and enjoy the shows with Ryan and myself, we'd love to have you. But... uh, uh, I, overall, I was impressed with the defense. Uh, you know, I can pick out individuals and so on, but I, I like the way Coach Monty Kiffin coaches. I'll tell you, I had a, an opportunity. I walked with him the entire scrimmage. I walked right behind him, listened to what he was saying, watched the way he worked. Uh, he, he's a very uh, much of a perfectionist. Uh, I like that. Uh, he would always look to his left and say, where's the damn 
Nickel defense, you're supposed to be with me. Second defense over here, nickel defense. Don't leave me. When I walk, you move. And I watched the team move with him. The defensive part of the team on the, the east sideline move up and down the sidelines with him. It wasn't like he was moving by himself. I liked the way the defensive coaches worked together. Orgeron always huddles up the group before they go on the field and gives them a little bit word of advice. And the other coaches, of course, are all on the sideline in their position getting the calls. All calls are going in. Uh, I think Coach Barry sends all the calls in, and everybody looks so they're familiar with what the calls are. He calls his defenses quickly. He makes his substitutions quickly. And uh, I think the defense is gaining a lot of confidence in the way they're playing. Now, obviously, you know, there's some big plays when you have a 92 uh, 92, uh, scrimmage plays on a Saturday. You're going to get some touchdowns because the defense is never off the field. you got to remember that. The defense is never off the field. So eventually there's going to be some scores. Uh, The offense hits some nice passes. Um, I was impressed with with some of the uh, pass catching and where the ball was placed by Barkley and so on. Again, uh, they didn't rush the ball much, but again, I think the run of the day was done again by Dylan Baxter Right, I don't know if you had a chance to see that run, but there wasn't a hole anywhere, and he broke it back and scored a touchdown. I think it was about 11 yards out, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful run. He's a tremendous, tremendous young kid who's adapted to going from the high school level to into uh, college football at a very good college football program in a really man's way. He has made a, he's got a presence out there. He's going to be an exciting player to watch. So one is, of course, uh, Baxter. I think uh, a lot of the I think the offensive line uh, is getting a lot of turns right now. The defensive line is sort of wearing down. I believe the offensive line. They have more depth. Uh, they're pounding on them continuously. Uh, the offensive lines are getting a lot of turns. But I think that uh, you know they might be getting a little tired now, but the defensive people are really jumping on them and. And it's hard for them to run the ball. In fact, we, there was a little bit of an incident out there when Bradford yelled at one of the offensive linemen, "Come on, let's start blocking!" And I, you know, they know you don't like to see that happen, but that's just pride and emotion of being embarrassed when you when you can't move the football on the run and so on. You become embarrassed, and you want to give everybody a little bit extra motivation in one way or the other to to get it done. And you know, so so that everybody understands this. When you really haven't emphasized the running game for a period of time, and I'm not saying Pete Carroll's offense didn't want to run the football, but it wasn't emphasized where you become hard-nosed as far as offensive backs and as far as offensive linemen. When you're determined to come off the football, when you're determined to knock the guy backward, when you're determined to finish the block, as I use that term, that means you stay with your guy until he goes to the ground. And I'm not just talking about the offensive linemen. I'm talking about the receivers. Even if the play is on the other side of the field, I mean, don't come off the ball just getting his way. Come off the ball and knock him on his butt. Then he never knows when you come off the line and you start to get in a position and knock him on his butt and you go by him and they throw back and you got a touchdown. So all 11 people have to buy in on the run. That means the quarterback, too. Barkley's got to continue his fake all the way out to the bootleg or whatever his fake is off the series they're running. And I don't see that completely happening yet offensively. So they've got to keep pounding it into them, pounding it into them. And right now the defense, I think, is a little bit ahead of the offense. And uh, I think that they, the linemen and, and the whole offensive team has got to toughen up. And I think that's what Lane Kiffin's philosophy is. I've got to toughen these guys up on offense. I, I'm just not going to say nice things about them or nice things about this team until they deserve to hear it. And when they, ought, when they start to do the, the things that we're asking them to do and make the great plays, he'll reward them. But until that happens, there's an expectancy of a certain type of performance at USC. And you've got to learn to play up to that. And if you don't play up to that, then why talk about that they are, unless they really are? And you're misleading the kids. You're misleading the media, and you're misleading the fans and the parents. So I think he, one thing he's done, and I think one player made the comment, you know, we used to have a little bit more fun out here. Well, yeah, you had a lot of fun out there. But it's a business. You bring your briefcase. It's not a reality show. It's the real deal. And they're back to what you call 
football practice. Not that it wasn't before, but it's a different type of practice. It's certainly a different feel out there, Coach. And uh, yesterday at practice, Coach Giffen commented that uh, the running game had got a little better. He wasn't real happy with the effort at the uh, scrimmage. And, and, you know, I think one of the main reasons, like you said, there really are on any given practice six, seven offensive linemen going at, all, at, at any time. So there's not a lot of uh, rest for these guys. And it's great to get the reps. And I think there's uh, some risk-reward there. I mean, every day, you know, one or two guys gets hurt on the offensive line and you almost can't have practice anymore. So you go over there. I think one of the first things we look for is you look across. Is Butch Lewis practicing yet or is, is Zach Heber or I mean, there's guys that are out that if they're still out, it's just going to mean that that offensive line stays as thin as they are. And uh, you got all those guys just kind of working hard, moving around a little bit, maybe playing out of position, just trying to get the bodies out there. And, you know, now that you're you know, over three weeks into spring football and you're on the, the second half and things are starting to wind down as they lead up to the spring, uh, the Trojan huddle on May 1st, I think it has taken a little bit of a toll on these guys. And, it, you know, it, it's I, I can understand some of the uh, the running backs might get a little frustrated, but they have to understand, too, that, man, they're really asking a lot of these offensive linemen because of the numbers. No, I agree with you 100%, I, but I think they'll benefit from it. I think they'll get themselves in better shape. They'll get better terms. They'll get coached up more. They'll be on film more. Uh, so, really, they'll be a better football player. The guys that aren't practicing won't become better football players. And they better get back on the field and start practicing, or they won't be playing in the fall. But these guys will move ahead of them. And, uh, you know, uh, when guys have serious injuries, you don't expect them to practice. But, uh, you know, you've you got you to get your team ready for the fall. I've always felt you make the team in the spring. You found out, found out, you find out who your players are, who your toughness is, where it's at, what the strengths of your team is for this coming year, and you work on that. And where your weaknesses are, you try to improve on that in the fall. So that's what incoming players or whatever you have to do, or moving players around from offense to defense, whatever you need to do. But you've got to be able to move the football. I think it's great too that they're going against a great defense. Uh, a defense that's been, uh, you know, criticized a lot in the past, especially last year. And to see them be successful, you hope that they've gotten better. Uh, that is why they're stopping the offense. Uh, otherwise, the offense is really in bad shape. But I, I see a different defense. I see a different uh, intensity. I see people paying attention. I don't see people calling a guy's name twice to get in there. One time, and you're in there. If you have to say it twice, don't worry about playing. Just get back and get <laughs> someone else. And I like that, you know? And I don't see him talking to people on the sidelines because I used to see too many people on the sidelines sometimes. I used to see people not paying attention to the game sometimes. I mean, you're talking to people on the sideline who – I'm not saying ex-players shouldn't be on the sideline. I'm saying – but talking with them during the game, No. Watch and see what's going on at your position. Be involved in the game. Be a part of the game. If you want a ticket, buy a ticket and sit up in the stand. <laughs> so, you know you know what I mean? I, I yeah. see a little bit of different philosophy, and, and this comes from uh, a lot of different things. Uh, it comes from philosophies of Monty Kiffin. It comes from the importance of what it is to be a Trojan. And uh, it comes from... We only have so many hours a week, 20 hours a week to get better. So we can't waste a minute of it. And I think that's what they're trying to emphasize. I think you're right, Coach. And uh, you, you did mention the fun factor, and maybe the practices aren't as fun as they were under Pete Carroll. Tuesday, uh, Lane Kiffin threw a little wrinkle into things. I show up at practice, and uh, they started a little late, but they had some like hip-hop music blaring while they were doing uh, stretching and stuff. And a lot of times, when before an, uh, an away game, they would... Uh, pound music into uh, you know the speakers and uh, you know have crowd noise and stuff going on there but it's kind of weird to have it during the spring so I'm like oh I wonder what that was well then at the end of practice they usually do their team drills which is you know the 11 11 11 on 11 offense versus defense stuff they wanted to end practice with like a goal line kind of stance sort of thing and it was a big competitive event between the offense and the defense and they played the they started blaring the hip-hop music again so they go right down there, like on the two-yard line, and I think Alan Bradford pounded one in for a touchdown. It seemed to just go back and forth, like the defense would would make a stop, and all the defenders would rush the field and go crazy. 
you know, with the music playing and the offense would score and the same thing, the offensive players would start singing the fight song and dance it all over the place and stuff. And then they ended it and then they, the players wanted to keep going. So they actually had to, they had to run a few more plays. And so it was kind of, it was interesting for me to see because Lane Kiffin has been so businesslike. It was kind of a new wrinkle. And I think part of it came from what I mentioned earlier. He wasn't real happy with the way the running game was going, uh, you know, at the scrimmage. And we talked about that a little bit, but he wanted to bring a little bit more fun into practice there and make it this uh, a real competitive environment. And not that it hasn't been competitive already. It has been a very competitive spring ball. But this was just a very specific event, that goal line toughness kind of thing he wanted to bring out in guys. And I think it really sparked up the entire team. I agree with you. You know, you have to make changes. Remember, you're at the part of spring practice now where it's not very much fun. I mean, you're doing the same thing. You're hitting the same guy. You're not playing any games and so on. It's like working all day and not making a sale. And you say, man, it's time for a cocktail or it's time for a beer. It's time to sort of get my mind on something else. And, you know, after a tough scrimmage on Saturday, you know, you want to come back when you're a little critical on the kids and they probably beat them up in the films and, and, and all of that. I'm just assuming, you know, you go over every play that you run, that you, you just want to change it. And when they come out a little bit, you sort of, Greet them with something different. You have to do that. You have to do that at times. You can't always be yelling. If you yell all the time at the team, you know what happens? They quit listening. If you yell just when you need to yell and discipline people, they'll follow your lead. But if you are a guy that is always yelling, 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 after a while, you know what happens? They turn it off. They turn it off. So you've got to do different things so that players are receptive. And remember, coaching is teaching, and teaching is coaching. So you've got to find a way to get the uh, knowledge to these kids so that they can perform and pass the test. Well, we'll see if they pass the test uh, at the end of spring ball. It'll be fun to watch that May 1st scrimmage at the Coliseum. Uh, Coach, we've got a couple of questions. You ready to answer a couple of user questions? If I can. All right, we'll see what you got. This is from Aaron. First up, he wanted to know if you think that Coach Kiffin's going to carry over any of that elephant tradition, elephant position tradition that they had success with during the Pete Carroll era. Guys like Clay Matthews and Brian Cushing would wreak havoc coming off the edge. Do you think they're going to try to keep that in the package somehow, some kind of scheme for that? Maybe put a, a Devon Kennard in that in that kind of a role. Um, he loves the show and keep it coming. Just wants to know what you think about the the old elephant position, which essentially was a way to kind of run a 3-4 looking front as opposed to the traditional 4-3 that Pete Carroll would normally run. Right. Remember, <clears throat> you adjust your defenses a lot to what you have depth-wise in your, in your defense. And they had great linebackers that year. So obviously you wanted your great players on the field. And they'd be able to have, you know, Cushing and Mal Luga and, and all those play, players on the field at the same time made you a pretty damn good football team, especially defensively, what they did that year. So you do a lot of things where you keep your players on the field and where you can perform. I don't think we'll see it in the spring, no, because I think basically, as I said earlier in our broadcast, I think Coach Kiffin wants to teach basic football. Basic football, how to tackle, how to line up, how to adjust, how to play soundly, and not do it the easy way. And I think that's something you add in the fall when you're game planning a team and you have techniques or or you have – uh, tendencies on a team or you think that you need to get more coverages or you need to play the wide side of the field or you need to do something differently. So I don't think you'll see it in the spring. I think you can see just about anything from Coach Lane Kiffin, or not Lane Kiffin, Monty Kiffin, because he's, he, you've heard people say the, the background he has, and you know, at his age, 71 years old, he stays in the office till 2 in the morning. Then he gets out and coaches with his enthusiasm. I'm going to tell you something. When I watch him coach, Hey, he's coaching like a 40-year-old football coach. He's into it. You can see it's his life. So I can't explain to you who he reminds me of. He reminds me a little bit of a modified uh, coach. Uh, gosh, I can't think of who I'm trying to think of. Uh, that, that, that just wants to – he enjoys what he does so much. It's like a surgeon. A surgeon, he had to go out there and sterile material. You know how they do before surgery, put gloves on and have a, a mask on and everything, but he's really performing surgery on the offense. 
He, he's into it. He talks about it. His coaches know what is expected of them, and he just does such a great job. So, you know, uh, I don't know what to expect, what he's going to do, but I know they're going to play sound football before they do anything else. And uh, when he thinks that he's taught what he wants to teach in the spring, then he might introduce a few things. But you could see it. You might not see it. I don't think you will see it. I don't think they have enough linebackers to do it. Maybe they do. If they do, then they'll put Gallipo in the middle, and they're having great competition there for the middle linebacker, and I think that's good. Yeah, I think they, excuse me, coach, I think they like Kennard in the middle there, so it might be hard to put him in that position, but we'll see. I mean, they definitely have some options there. Uh, Ed Orgeron said that he does like the depth he has at, at defensive line, so um, we'll have to see what happens there. Thanks for the question, Aaron. And Hugh has a question. We lost the best punter in the nation at the last minute to Fresno State. That would be Matt Dar. he is talking about. There was a noticeable drop-off on special teams last year. Who is going to step up for us uh, to get opponents inside the 20? And do you have a long field goal kicker like David Beeler? And this is from Hugh. And Coach, just real quick, uh, when we first went out to spring ball, the special teams group was pretty small. It was Joe Houston, the field goal kicker, Chris, Chris Busson, who is a, a walk-on uh, snapper, and Jake Harfman, and who is the, uh, the kid from Mount Sac that uh, was punter and field goal kicker. Uh, Cooper Stevenson isn't there anymore. He he left the team. He was a scholarship snapper. Uh, Jordan Congdon was out of eligibility, so he was gone as well. There wasn't a lot of guys left, uh, you know, at, at, at for special teams, and they really haven't done much kicking at all this spring in special teams. They're starting to do a little bit, but they haven't done much kicking at all. The you know John Baxter the special teams coach is really focused on other aspects of special teams, and you know he's bringing the kickers along kind of slowly, but that doesn't seem to be a big priority right now uh, as far as kicking goes. I think they'll, they'll definitely work on it when it comes to the fall, but it's funny how he's just had a completely different philosophy. He's not really done that that much. But what, what do you think, Coach, about the whole special team situation right now? Well, you certainly have a great uh, special teams coach, SC and John Baxter. He, he's you know named associate head coach, too, and he's had an opportunity to come to USC before with Pete Carroll, and he declined. This time they put together a nice package for him. In fact, Pat Hill even told him, you can't turn this package down. And uh, he was with Pat for 13 years and now has uh, come to the Trojans. He's a great special teams coach, and I think he knows what he's doing. He'll teach it really well, and I think there's room for improvement in the special teams as far as from the past. And I think one improvement area certainly is the punting and certainly is the place kick, kicking that, that the Trojans have to improve on. And if you're going to play for a national championship, you've got to be automatic. When you cross the 40-yard line, you've got to have someone that's automatic that's going to come in and you got three points. The defense then has to play different. Everybody plays different because they know that, hey, this guy's going to kick a field goal, so you're going to see more blitzes and so on to try to get you back out of the guy's range. And you've got to have an automatic kicker. Now, this kid, Harfman, he was a good kicker in junior college. Now, I didn't see him kick, so I can't tell you how good he is, okay, in junior college. But he was a punter, and he was a field goal kicker and kickoff and the whole package. Beeler came out of junior college. He came out of Santa Ana Junior College. And really, you know, he was such a great athlete that he could have played linebacker in a lot of positions. He was actually an extra guy on the kickoff team because he could run people down. In fact, I saw him run people down and make tackles and he's now playing with the Dallas Cowboys. So he was a, an athlete as a place kicker and certainly did a great job for USC. I, I have to yet, Harpin has to prove to me yet that he's this guy. Uh, I haven't seen it. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing for sure, you're not going to win a national championship or be a great offensive football team unless you have a great place kicker. And I think this is a great question because it's, I have somewhat, been very surprised that this has not been a real priority to bring in the greatest place kicker in the country because he certainly could attract one. You score enough points where a guy could lead the nation in scoring or field goal attempts and, and get a great opportunity of going to the NFL because you have chances of proving yourself on kickoffs. Look what Beeler did. Kicked off and he's playing in the NFL. You have a lot of time to kick off. You've got a lot of field goal opportunities. You really shouldn't have too many opportunities to punt, at least you hope so. But uh, uh, I, I think this is a priority. I think that bar kid that went to Fresno State, I was very surprised they lost him. 
And Ryan, you follow recruiting very closely. And what I heard is the prior staff sort of got away from him, didn't really recruit him, and sort of drifted away. He's also a great discus thrower. He could have participated on the track team at USC with Ron Allison and so on. I think he was the state champion. I'm not sure. But to let him get away, I think, was not smart. And, of course, Baxter recruited him. The kid's probably pulling his hair out now because the coach who recruited him to Fresno State is now at USC. And uh, who knows what happened there? I don't know what happened there. But to lose a great kicker like that is not smart, I guess I should say. And uh, to not have a tremendous field goal and kickoff person is not smart. Now, John Baxter, I'm not second-guessing him. He knows what he's doing. He knows the importance of a snapper, a field goal kicker, a kickoff guy, and a punter. So I hope uh, somehow this works out, obviously, but he recruited Barr to Fresno State, so he knows how important it really is. So he'll work on that, and I'm sure they have somebody who possibly is going to come in in the fall. I I don't know, though. I haven't heard anything about that, though, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's a... You know, some questions out there, but I think the main thing is having an experienced special teams coach, an experienced college special teams coach like John Baxter in there. I think you could expect some good things as, as part of this uh, special teams play. And there's a lot of aspects to special teams, and you know he's known for being able to block kicks. You just watch the, the way they run drills and stuff out there. It's, it's a little bit different, and uh, it looks like the players are buying into it. You know, They're going to use starters on special teams again. They're going to do a lot of things that you know, maybe we haven't seen before. So that should be a really interesting aspect to see what was going on. So, Hugh, thanks for the question. Um, we'll probably know a little bit more about special teams in the fall because, like I said, they're not doing a lot of kicking and stuff yet. But uh, they are, you know, they're, they're definitely working on different aspects. And I think Trojan fans are going to be happy with the way the special teams are going to play in 2010. That's just my personal prediction, Coach. I don't know what you think. Well, I certainly hope so. But, you know, special teams are one-third of the game. People forget that. Special teams are very, very important. I I used to spend a lot of time. In fact, I used to be in charge of special teams as a head coach. And I didn't coach all the positions, but I did coach field goal, extra point, and uh, kickoff return. I coached myself. That was my responsibility to get ready for the games because I wanted to demonstrate to the team that that's what I thought of special teams. So uh, it's important. I remember when I coached Japan Bowl, and we were playing um, the East. There was the East-West game, and Johnny Majors was the head coach of the East team. Of all the coaches that were there, what did he coach? All special teams. He coached all the special teams himself in the All-Star game. So I know he spe- must have coached, when he was at Tennessee, all the special teams there and, and in Pittsburgh and everywhere else he was. So you've got to make it important, and the players have got to believe it's important. The players can't believe it's a break when you go to work on special teams. The players have got to believe that it's something that's real important. If they don't, they play like it's not important. So um, I'm sure he'll he'll make it that. I think, I hope that this area is improved because you've got to have great special teams to win. All right, Coach. Well, what's important for you right now is the weather breaking and you'll be able to get off Catalina Island sometime before Saturday's practice. All right, what? Is it, how's it? <laughs> I got to get off Catalina <laughs> Island, and you're right about the helicopter. If I have to take it across, <laughs> I will, because I've got that show to do with you. You know, right? Oh yeah. So I don't want so to. You know, yeah, I don't want to. I run want everybody show. to hear. I want everybody to hear my dog. You hear my dog in the background? Yeah. You, Can you hear it? So Cece's trapped yeah. on Catalina too. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> She's ready to roll. Cool. She's got her butt luggage all packed. Can you hear her? She's down there. She's saying, "Let's get out of here." Yeah. So. Um, she started barking just at the right time. All right. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time. Hopefully you get off Catalina. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, Ryan, and to all you Trojans who uh, or listeners who are sending questions. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we appreciate you being part of the show. We definitely do. And everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk some NFL draft. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. 
Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some NFL draft. The uh, new look NFL draft starts Thursday, uh, April 22nd. And uh, several Trojans are looking to be drafted onto new NFL teams. We have with us Brian Fisher from uscfootball.com. Wants to talk a little draft with us today. What's going on, Brian? I'm doing good, Ryan, and I'm ready to talk about the uh, three biggest days of the year for fans that can't get used to NFL football not being on TV. You mean when they they come out with the NFL schedule? Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm uh, (laughs) I'm talking about the draft. You know, I don't don't get this this schedule release thing. Like, I mean, I I know it's a big deal for some people that want to, like, plan their travel arrangements or whatnot, but... For me, you know, I'm going to take a look at it, you know, after it comes out and be like, okay, all right. And then you're done with it for six months until they start the season. So I don't get the big deal with the schedule release. Yeah, I don't think it's caught on quite as much. I mean, the draft for sure has become a really, really big deal. And it's always been, you know, it's kind of was a big event in New York and that's spread over over the country. The releasing of the schedule, eh, that doesn't really do a lot for me. Yeah, I mean, I think the draft is like a thousand times more interesting. And, and I think the new... Uh, draft schedule, I think, makes this year even more interesting with, you know, Thursday in prime time, Friday, second and third round in prime time, and then you have uh, another extended day Saturday. And, you know, I'm sure a few people, more than a few people even, are, are a little disappointed that it's not just one big Saturday where you can, you know, kind of just bunker down with a few friends and watch the draft. But uh, I kind of like this new format, so we'll see how it works. We'll definitely see. It, it changes the terminology a little bit. It used to say a guy was a first-day pick, which meant before, I think it was the first three rounds, then it became the first two rounds. So it's changed everything up. So it's first round, first day is all the same thing now. Second-day pick is, like you said, second and third round, and then the rest of the rounds leading all the way up to Mr. Irrelevant, which I, I think that'll come out sometime Saturday night by the time they finish, right? Uh, I think they're scheduled to finish around like four or five on Saturday. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely starts to move very quickly. You know, you got 10 minutes on Thursday in between picks, five minutes uh, the rest of the way. So, you know, it's, it starts picking up steam. But, uh, you know, based on what I've been reading, there will be a lot of trades, a lot of teams trying to move back and, you know, trade forward. So it, it could be an interesting day. And you uh, really don't know how long it'll go. Yeah, the trades can actually add a lot of time, you know, because people get the clock restarts and stuff like that. So it can add some time to that. Well, but for USC, uh, last year, obviously a huge year. I mean, so many of those linebackers go and and perform really well. A bunch of first round draft picks, uh, like I think 11 overall picks or so. People think it's kind of a down year for USC. But when you look at it, they might get three guys in the first round that, you know, could have eight guys drafted, maybe even, you know, nine or two. Who knows? But. It, for a, a down year in the draft for USC, it seems to be a pretty good year for most other schools. I, I mean, you look at what, how many guys are just going to get drafted, period. And for a team that you know lost four games last year, finished middle of the pack in the Pac-10, and they're going to end up with you know you know maybe three first round draft picks and you know six to seven players drafted overall. It's pretty you know it. I think it does speak to the talent that Pete Carroll was able to stockpile at USC, and um, you know certainly some of the guys can make an impact when you're talking about an edge rusher like Everson Griffin or a, a franchise type left tackle in Charles Brown. It certainly those the guys coming out of USC can make an impact in the NFL. And, you know, we saw it last year with the linebackers and we'll see it at uh, a bunch of different positions uh, this year. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll start off with uh, Taylor Mays. He probably got the most hype going into things. I think he has the, you know, probably the highest potential. I mean, maybe Everson Griffin could go a little bit higher than him. Uh, Griffin, Everson Griffin could certainly be the first guy drafted, but from USC, but I think Mays probably consensus wise, he'll be ranked in those mock drafts a little bit higher than Griffin. I think a lot of people think he'll be the first Trojan taken. Um, you know, we've seen things from a top 10 pick to middle of the second round. It seems like there's a pretty wide range of where people think uh, Griffin could d- go. I saw a couple of the mock drafts. I think they had him go into the Texans 
He could join uh, Brian Cushing down there. That's a number 20 pick. Uh, probably, you know, if I had to guess, maybe somewhere in the high teens, early 20s or so. What do you think about Taylor Mays and where he would go? Well, you know, he, he's just such an interesting uh, case because you got a lot of teams that are, are down on his, his ball skills and, and his hips and coverage. And that's certainly been a knock for him, you know, for four years. And I think when it comes down to it, there's going to be one general manager or one coach that is going to look at him, you know, being as big as he is, as fast as he is and say, you know what, I, I think in our system, he will do really well, and he, he might not be Ed Reed at, in terms of you know interceptions or a Troy Polamalu type, but he can be an enforcer over the middle, kind of like maybe a LeRon Landry in Washington, and, and really solidify a secondary that maybe maybe the teams in the later rounds just need one piece. Uh, I know a lot of teams have, have kind of penciled him in for the Cowboys. They do need a safety, uh, but they are talking with Gerald Sensabaugh for a, a long-term deal as as far as a safety concern. So maybe the Cowboys will go uh, tackle, um, but I, I think Taylor Mays could fit there at 27. Um, certainly Jerry Jones is, you know, he's picked Roy Williams before, who was a big hard-hitting safety out of Oklahoma, uh, but that was a top six, you know, a top 10 pick. I believe they got him at seven. So, you know, Jerry at 27, he could maybe look to trade up, trade down, and grab Taylor Mays. That's always an interesting uh, spot. I think there will be – I think he's generally going to go in that 20 to maybe 28 range. I, I think when you look at the teams picking in them, uh, they could all use a playmaker on defense. And certainly for a team, like I said, with the Cowboys, who he could definitely fill a role. That makes a good f- uh, fit. I know um, – Pat Kirwan on NFL.com has him going 25th uh, to the Ravens. So that would be an interesting thing because you got uh, a guy he can learn from in Ed Reed, and he could also take over for Ed when he retires in the next couple of years because, you know, Reed's missed a lot of games. Uh, so he could maybe slot in there with Baltimore. They've always done very well with their secondary. They, you know, they've always put together a solid secondary. And in that defense, um, you know, he could play that enforcer role and not have to go for the ball as much. So that might fit there. Um, I know Peter King has made going 27 to the Cowboys. Uh, a lot of guys like Todd McShade have, has him going 27 to the Cowboys. So I, I guess the the favorite for, to land Taylor is the Cowboys at 27, but. He really could just go up and down, and I'm sure a, a lot of teams picking early in that second round would love to see him fall because you could see you know, a team that is picking early, like uh, even the Rams, who need playmakers on defense, you know, a hard-hitting guy like that, that would, that would really help them out. Sure, and I, I, the key what you said there is all it takes is one. If you have 31 teams that are down on a guy, it only takes one to draft him. It doesn't mean there's no voting. You know, you, you know if the... The Giants love them, and every other team doesn't like them. That's you know they could pick them and stuff like that. So, and uh, just a note: Pete Carroll has the number fourteen pick uh, for Seattle. They, that's a pick they got from Denver in a trade, I believe. And uh, I don't, I don't see him going there. But I mean, there's there's some people that were speculating maybe uh, Pete Carroll would want to take a shot at, at Taylor Mays, knowing what he can do. And and I think a lot of times in the draft, and this is what might help Taylor Mays. People draft on potential so much, and when you have a guy with his size and his speed, so much potential there. I think they a lot of teams can feel that they can teach him to go after the ball and things like that. So there's, I don't know. It's hard to say when you run that fast and you're that big and that strong. It's going to be really strange to to, to if he falls the second round. I think that's going to be a really weird thing. I think some manager, general manager out there, is going to want to take a chance on him just because of his potential. And you got you also have the chance to where maybe a coach says you know you know like a Rex Ryan who says you know what maybe I can draft him as a safety and we can and we can see how it works out and maybe if it doesn't work out I I can play him in like a nickel package as a linebacker to cover tight ends because you know tight ends are creating a lot of mismatches today in the NFL where you got guys like Dallas Clark uh, you know and those type tight ends that are more of a receiving threat downfield that need fast linebackers to cover him. Maybe I can put him at linebacker. Uh, you know, he's very good fitting in on a, on a run blitz. So he could, you know, really go anywhere. And, and uh, you know, it just does take one guy, you know, Minnesota Vikings, uh, uh, Mel Kuyper has them taking Taylor Mays. So it's, you know, it's a lot of teams at that bottom half of that first round that are, that might just pull the trigger right away and say, hey, you know what? I can't miss on this guy. He can do 
a lot of different things for our defense. And, you know, he, you know, he's certainly a smart player. He works hard. And I think a lot of teams like that in him. I don't know if uh, Seattle at 14, that might be a little high for him. Uh, but you could see Seattle trade down in that. You know, that 14 pick is probably uh, pretty coveted by a couple teams. And so maybe they trade down into that 20 range and they do draft the uh, the hometown kid, Taylor Mates. You never know. Yeah. And it, yeah, I didn't even mention that, that he's, you know, from Seattle and Carol's going there. So if there's a way to make that work, I mean, Carol's got that kind of personality. He might try to do something, but we shall see. That's why the draft will be fun to watch in the first round, especially. Let's go to uh, Charles Brown uh, next up. I think he's getting, seems to be rising a little bit in the, in, you know, his stock in the draft. Um, a lot of people kind of predicting, predicting he's going to be a mid twenties pick. Uh, offensive tackles, I think there's he's probably fifth, sixth, or seventh best offensive tackle on the board right now. A lot of people have said, at least from what I was reading, uh, you know, I think three offensive tackles can go in the first top ten picks. Uh, you might get five in the first twenty or so. Um, Charles Brown, even being like, if you say he's the number six guy or so, he could still go in the top twenty-five picks. Um, what do you what do you think about his stock? Well, I think he's a he's a sneaky guy. You know, I I think he kind of cost him. It hurt him a little bit, not you know being injured in the in the Senior Bowl and then not being able to go on pro day. I think his shot, his stock could have just shot up. But uh, you know, from what I've been reading and from scouts I've talked to, you know, he's a guy that a lot of teams have as one of those top left tackle guys. You know, you got guys like Brian Bulaga out of Iowa who is projected as a as a tackle, but teams maybe see him more as a right tackle or even a guard the first couple uh, uh, weeks in the draft or f- first couple years in the in the league. And so maybe that makes Charles Brown, who has the athleticism to play left, left tackle and has the size to play out there and deal with those ends, um, you know, they might have him as maybe the third left tackle on the board, uh, you know, right after like a, a Russell Okung, who's probably going to go, uh, he's probably going to be the first offensive lineman drafted. He's out of Oklahoma State. Um, he's kind of like the consensus guy is that that number one guy. And then you have two or three guys after him. And, and you know, Charles Brown is certainly in that mix as a possibility and um you know it wouldn't surprise me for some team to maybe surprise everybody and say like the 49ers instead of taking an anthony davis out of rectors they take charles brown at say 13 or 16 and and you know he kind of surprises everybody because i i think the general perception uh among the media is yeah he's a 20-ish pick but among scouts and everybody else, they they like his tape so much. You know, he, he I think he only gave up one sack last year, and and so he could be a guy that that really sneaks up and surprises everybody this draft. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Trent Williams is another guy out of Oklahoma. People are projecting him. He's a tackle as a as a top ten guy. And you know, there's Anthony Davis out of Rutgers. Maybe he can slide ahead of him. I think I don't. I, I believe he's being more of a right tackle guy. But we'll you know. You have to kind of see about that. And there was one other guy. I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, uh, Bruce Campbell from Maryland. There's another one of the tackles that are kind of rated in his his range. So I, don't I, I think I think Charles will definitely go above Davis. I, I mean, I know Davis, you know, just wowed everybody at the combine. But I think when you look at uh, draft rooms that are, are looking at tape and, and looking at uh, what they've done in college and how they project at the next level. I think they're going to choose Brown over Davis for sure. Um, you know, you never know with like a Raiders team that might say, you know, I, that's a freakish alignment. I'm going to take them. But so uh, there's that. But I mean, you got teams that um, would love to see him fall. You know, you look at like the Indianapolis Colts picking at the the end of the first round. Uh, you know, or the Chargers or the Cowboys that do maybe need a young guy to play along the offensive line who might not start right away, but could definitely be a solid future for the team. I think those teams are just, you know, hoping and praying that, that Charles Brown falls to the end of the first round. Yeah, I think Roger Saffold is the other kid out of Indiana, another one. I mean, you could have seven offensive tackles going in the first round, and uh, that doesn't even include the kid out of Idaho who's projected as a guard, right? So, I mean... 
He's yeah, like, Mike Upati. Yeah, he's he's an interesting kid because you never know what he's going to play guard tackle. And I think that might be one of the th- kind of things that that Charles is able to stand out because you can say, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a true left tackle and I can play it from day one. And so I think that would help a lot of teams. And obviously coming from a pro style system, uh, he's able to jump right in and, you know, be in sync with the terminology. And, you know, you, you've seen USC linemen kind of kind of jump into the fray like uh, Ryan Khalil you know, very quickly in the league. And so I think a lot of teams will uh, maybe maybe overvalue Charles Brown considering, you know, where the media mock drafts and stuff have him. All right. Let's go to the first junior we'll talk about, Everson Griffin. Uh, I think he does have high upside more, the kind of the potential thing with his, you know, 6'3", 265, lots of speed. Um, you know, his frame, I think a lot of the, the uh, NFL GMs will like that. Um, you know, projected could go in the first round he could go fairly high like someone i don't know someone could take a chance on him early on or so but what do you think about everson griffin stock he's an interesting guy because he's he, he's done everything the scouts want you know he's done pretty well in interviews from what i've read he obviously wowed everybody with his 40 time at the pro day uh usc and you know he's just such a you know freakish athletic guy and the biggest knock on him was you know, he didn't go hard every play or he didn't give it his all all the time. And so maybe that's kind of seeped in a little bit now and started, co- you know, causing him to drop. I know a couple mock drafts don't even have him in the first round. But, you know, again, like what we were talking about with Taylor Mays, he's just one of those guys where you look at him and you look at that 40 time and you're like, I just can't pass up on this guy. And so, you know, you got people at the end of the, you know, at, the Jets have been hearing a, a lot for him. Uh, who are in need of a pass rusher kind of defensive end? Uh, he, I think, he would fit very well in Rex Ryan's system. He, you know, he could fit there. Uh, the Patriots are another option who I think they might relish the opportunity to take a guy like that with that athleticism, plug him into a system, plug him into that New England mentality, and kind of turn himself around. And so that could be an option too. So he's a guy that I, I think for sure I can't see him not dropping out of the first round. I, I really see some team just like Taylor May saying, I got to take this guy. Um, you know, it, it depends on what team might surprise someone and pick, uh, you know, Jason Pierre Paul or not pick him or maybe uh, take a Carlos Dunlap. But I think when you're comparing Everson to those two guys, especially as a, as a rush guy at defensive end, he's probably the most polished out of them. And so I think a lot of teams will just, Again, love it if he falls to that second half of the first round. And I think the key thing you said there, freak. I mean, Taylor Mays is a freak athlete. Everson Griffin is a freak athlete. Does Everson Griffin have a lot of sacks in his career at USC? No, he doesn't. But because of that potential, like you said, I think someone's going to try to take a chance on him, get him into a good system and get his head on straight and and have things work out for him. I mean, it's just... It's sad. I think Trojan fans are a little unhappy to see the way he kind of underachieved while he was at USC, but it doesn't mean that his potential in the NFL isn't still very high. And, and it, he could be one of those guys who, who doesn't have the distraction of school life and, you know, maybe a limited, you know, emphasis on football, you know, with the, the hours that he can devote to it at USC and in college. Maybe go when he goes to that next level, it, you know, it really is a light switch for him, and, and I think it is. I mean, he's he's a good kid. He likes to play football, and, and I think if he put him in the right situation and and let him go and, and just rush the quarterback, he could you know be very dangerous in the league uh, because he has that that first step explosiveness that that you really look for from guys like Dwight Freeney. And then he, he's got the speed to chase down, you know, mobile quarterbacks and, and guys that can run around the pockets. And, you know, I, I'm sure guys like Mark Sanchez would rather be, you know, uh, have him on his team than, you know, being chased with him. So uh, he, he's definitely an interesting guy. I just don't see him slipping out of the first round. All right. Uh, yeah, I think to get past the Jets would be really uh, I think it would be difficult to do. And the Rams, I think if they had a chance to get him with that 33rd pick, I think they prob- that's probably the furthest he would fall. And he would be a you know a great tandem when you when you talk about that defensive line that they would have is is uh, opposite of um, Howie Long's kid uh, Chris Long um, you know who they picked very high uh, a couple of years ago so that's two good defensive ends that are putting pressure on a quarterback in a division that is very weak and has very slow quarterbacks so uh, definitely that that first pick in the second round if they don't trade out of it uh, is definitely an interesting spot for him to land on. The next one, uh, 
Damian Williams, it'll be really interesting to see where he goes. There is like like offensive tackle. There's a lot of depth at receivers. I mean, you might see kind of big names. I mean, even Des Bryant, people are talking about slipping because of his off the field troubles. But you know, guys like Aurelius Ben could drop in the second round, and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of receivers in this draft. Uh, but I think Damian Williams kind of helped himself a little bit. What do you think about where Damian could go? A lot a lot of people projecting kind of a mid-second round pick. Do you think that's probably the case? I, I think so. I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, he's probably one of the top, probably three guys. I think if you're looking at his ter- terms of uh, polishedness, uh, he's probably the most polished receiver in the draft coming from a pro-style system. Uh, the ability to return punts and kicks uh, will certainly help out his cause. And, and I think... A lot of teams saw uh, what the Giants were able to do in the second round with drafting Steve Smith, and then they get Damian Williams, who who might be uh, you know very similar build and, and can you know is the precise route runner that Steve was, and maybe a little bit faster than Steve. I, you know I'm not quite sure what their 40s were, but you know he's a guy who's who's very savvy, very football smart. He can come in and pick up a system very easily and very quickly, and he can be plugged in as a slot guy or even an outside guy and, and just make catches. So, you know, you wonder the teams in the second round that might trade up uh, to get him are, are really kind of the candidates to maybe grab him. Um, you look at maybe like the Green Bay Packers, you know, in the mid-50s, um, you know, they have uh, some older wide receivers that, you know, he might be able to come in and help out. Um, the New, New England Patriots are always looking for wide receivers. You know, I, I know they signed Torrey Holt, yeah. <laughs> but you know he's an interesting guy uh, that or an interesting pick because you know they they need youth at that position, and that could certainly help them. Um, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers at fifty-two uh, in the second round. That's always interesting because they did just trade Santonio Holmes, and he's kind of a a Heinz Ward type player. So you could maybe see him going to the Steelers. He he just can really go all over that second round and and i don't think he'll get high enough to be in the first round but i think he'll definitely be a solid second day pick yeah there 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 doesn't look like a lot of receivers will go in the first round it seems like the the rush on them will start in the second round des bryant will really start things off how far is he going to fall uh someone will you know probably take a chance on him but you know his talk has definitely fell because of the off-field uh problems and like a golden tate and stuff like that too i mean him and damian williams could go right right around each other just going to depend on you know which receiver goes for when des bryant goes and then when the re, the kind of rush on receiver starts to go which will probably be sometime early to mid second round and you know even even the rams at 33 if they keep that pick as that first pick in the in the second round you know they need wide receivers too especially when you know when you consider they're probably almost assuredly going to draft a quarterback at number one um, you know, he, he needs wide receivers and, and, uh, if you can name a wide receiver on the Rams, you know, I'll, I'll give you credit and I'll buy you <laughs> lunch, but you know, it, you know, he's certainly an interesting guy that can go in that, that top of the second round for sure. But, you know, he can, he can really be a valuable pick in that middle of the second round. And so, uh, you know, I think it'll be a good fit for him no matter what, because he, you know, if he does go in the middle of the second round, it'll be a team that that's not completely rebuilding but it's a team that he can get in there learn the system and win with uh, right away and and, you know maybe make a run for the playoffs all right let's go to anthony mccoy who had uh was in the news for a little for testing positive for marijuana i don't know how much that's going to kind of hurt his stock i think a lot of people look at him as probably the second tight end or so in this draft um the other kid from Oklahoma, Gresham, is, is the guy that will probably go before him. Um, New England's talked about needing a tight end. What, where do you think um, McCoy's going to end up? Well, I mean, I, you heard a lot of talk early, before that positive test came out that he was maybe a second-round pick, you know, towards the end of the second round. I, I think the test just, I mean, knowing that you're going to get tested at the combine, that's kind of, and, and, you know, getting caught, is kind of a red flag for guys that, uh, you know, he's going to drop a little bit. And so um, he's a guy that I think early in the third round, 
you know, a team that maybe needs a tight end will trade up or trade down to get him. Uh, you, you got guys like Ed Dixon and Jermaine Gresham who are, uh, you know, interesting looks in the passing game. And and Anthony's more of a, a blocking guy. And so uh, teams that, that maybe have a primary tight end already and are looking for a good, solid blocking tight end uh, might go after him. Um, I know Pat Kirwan on NFL.com has him going 80th uh, in the third round to the Broncos, and that certainly could be a good fit because they just traded a tight end. Um, you know, he, he's just an interesting guy. He could, he could you know, fluctuate from the second round to the fifth. Um, you just never know, especially with that, that positive drug test, how teams are going to view him. And, and he could, you know, maybe fall a little bit and be very valuable to a team that picks him up in the later rounds who doesn't have to pay him a lot. But he can come in. He can block right away. Uh, he, he's got skills in the passing game. And, and, you know, if a team says, you know what, uh, you know, he, he came out, he admitted that he failed the drug test early. He didn't, you know, wait until it, it came out in the news. He, he told teams beforehand and, uh, you know, he certainly he's taken a little responsibility. So maybe I'll take a chance on him in the third round and, you know, end up getting a steal. Well, we'll see where he goes. And uh, another one that could go pretty wide range, Joe McKnight, the uh, running back. Some people have him about the fourth best running back in the draft. It just depends on who you read and who you talk to. Some issues that have come up are about his size and, and the ball security stuff that's happened. What do you think about Joe McKnight? Well, you know, he's a he's also an interesting case where he is just, you know, he can go from the end of the second round all the way down to like the sixth. And, and to me, the interesting thing is seeing who will go first, Joe McKnight or Kevin Thomas, who has just been shooting up the draft boards. And I think when you look at, at Joe McKnight, I know um, Sam Farmer of the LA Times was talking about it earlier today, how, um, you know, Peyton Manning said he really likes Joe McKnight. So maybe... Uh, you know, into the third round or even late second round, they'll trade down into the third round. Uh, you can maybe see the Colts drafting uh, Joe McKnight, and he would certainly provide a, a good receiving threat for them and in a, a punt return option and kick return option. And so uh, his versatility is really going to help him. I think that's his biggest, uh, you know, strong point. You know, he can come in, he'll get two or three, four carries a game, and, and you know, he'll run the sweeps, he'll, he'll run between the tackles. Um, you know, I, I think teams are somewhat concerned of the fumbling problems, but I, I think they, they can realize that maybe he's gotten them uh, behind him and with a decreased workload, he's not going to fumble as much. So uh, he could provide a lot of value for a team that look, is looking for like a, a backup running back or maybe even a third running back that can return punts and return kicks and kind of kind of fit in the mold, kind of like the Dallas Cowboys have where they have, uh, you know, three running backs and each brings a little bit different for a team like that, maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars as well, uh, looking for a third guy that can kind of come in and be that change of pace and who is a home run threat uh, every time he touches the ball. He could provide a lot of value, but I, I just I have no clue where to predict where yeah. he's going to. Yeah, it's uh, gonna, yeah, it's going to be hard to see where he goes. But we'll, I mean, we'll probably we won't be surprised anywhere because it could go. There's just such a wide range right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Pat Kirwan had him at 76 to the Giants. So, um, that's pretty high. It, yeah, <laughs> it's, that's pretty good for him. You yeah. know, I, I, I think coming into the draft, there, there were a lot of questions about him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just going to yo-yo up and down. it. And I think, uh, again, we're going to see so many teams trade up and trade back and trade, you know, trade third-round pick for a second-round pick and, and all that stuff to where he could be one of those guys that a team targets and maybe moves back for or moves up for. Uh, and, and he could just surprise everybody where he goes. So those are the six guys that, I mean, almost everyone believes will be drafted. And there's a couple others that have possibilities. You mentioned Kevin Thomas, who's, you know, he's got size for for a cornerback, and I think a lot of people love that. And uh, you know, he did well at the uh, at the pro day. I think people liked what they saw there. Uh, so I think you know he could sneak in and get drafted somewhere. You, how high have you seen him? You know, uh, some of the mock drafts out there, some of the talk has he talked about in the fifth round at all or sixth round how's it gone with him i mean i've heard as, as high as third round uh wow. you know, I, I don't know if he'll go that high but i mean certainly teams like what he did uh at the pro day as far as far as his 40 time his tape is very good uh, you know a little bit different from a lot of corners in that he's a very very good in press coverage which a lot of teams will start you know looking at in those middle rounds and, you know, he's a guy that will be a solid special teams player for a team. Uh, he can come in, play a nickel slot, 
uh, type guy, or you know maybe move outside and you switch your corner and he's covering a slot. He, he's a very versatile player. I think he could be one of those guys that you know maybe ends up sticking around for you know you know 10, 12 years in the pros, just playing corner. And he might not be the the superstar that everybody you know might think you know of of a corner could be like a, a Dre Bly, but he could be one of those solid corners that just kind of sticks around, who's good at press coverage. And um, you know, I've heard everything from the third to you know the sixth, and and I think I certainly think he'll go before the sixth. Um, uh, again, it's just one team that has to fall in love with him, and and I think there there's a few teams out there that are looking at him in that third, fourth, fifth round. Wow. Okay, so that'd be great news for Kevin Thomas. Let's um, there's a few other guys that have some chances to get drafted here, and we'll get your kind of maybe talk about a little bit of each guy. Jeff Byers mm-hmm. um, and Nick Howell, both offensive linemen. Um, Howell, I think, did really well at the uh, at the pro day, and he looked he looked different. You know, he looked like he could be a potential NFL guy. It wasn't you know, invited to the combine or anything like that. But, uh, you know, that maybe someone takes a flyer on him. And any of these guys, I think, have a real good shot of signing just free agent contracts and trying to make a team Absolutely. If, they, if they don't get drafted. Um, you know, Will Harris, I think, uh, you know, ran a, a really nice 40 time, got got some mention at the USC Pro Day. And Stephon Johnson, you know, people have talked about just because of, you know, his perseverance and coming back. But um, how about any of those guys? Do you think uh, some of those guys can sneak in and get drafted? I do. I, I think you look at maybe. I think Jeff Byers might be one of the group to come off the board. Uh, you know, in those later rounds, you know, five, six, seven. Uh, probably more like a six, seven. Um, you know, he's so versatile because he can play center, both guard spots. Um, you know, you're only carrying a couple line. You know, you're only carrying six or seven linemen. So the ability to play multiple positions along the line, being a veteran. Uh, coming from a pro style system, which he 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 knows like the back of his hand, you know he could be a guy that that maybe Seattle is looking at who who needs helps along the offensive line, and, and maybe they're saying okay maybe sixth or seventh round we'll we'll, we'll grab Jeff Byers and um, you know he he can kind of be our backup guy and then you know fill in along the line as as things go and um, you know I think he definitely gets drafted uh, you know obviously sixth or seventh um, but. Uh, he he's just so versatile that I think a lot of teams will definitely try if he if he's down there at the bottom of the draft say you know what he's a guy who can come in he can play on our team he can he can show us a few things he might not start at all but he's going to be a solid backup for a couple of years and he's a smart guy and so I think a team will take a chance on him and then what about like the Nick Howells or the world or Will Harris or Stephon Johnson um, Stefan, I think, has the best chance of those three. Um, I'm not sure about Will Harris. He could maybe sneak in there the sixth or seventh round. Um, I think he's probably a good candidate for kind of uh, be one of those guys that a lot of teams look at as a, a undrafted free agent. And I think that could be good for him and Nick Howell because he'll have teams that, that want to see what he has, get him in camp work them out in their system and, and you know he's kind of you know those two are some of those guys that um they might go and draft it this year but they're going to come in to a camp and perform well and really just latch on with a team and you know they can stick around for a few years and i think anytime you talk about guys like that with pete carroll up in seattle who knows will harris very well um can plug him into the system he would be a perfect candidate for a you know a, an a, undrafted free agent and then Nick Howell as well. So um, I don't know if those guys get drafted. I think Will, you know, Will could get drafted for sure. Um, Nick, I, I don't know what teams think about him as much, but, you know, it's certainly interesting and, and we'll see where they go. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Howell's got that legacy status with, you know, his dad being a player and stuff. And, uh, he, and that can't help. No, he did. And he looked really impressive at the pro yeah. day. You know, it wasn't the biggest pro day that USC's had in recent years. Um, so we'll see how much weight that that carries. But, uh, there, you know, so there's, you know, it sounds like eight guys probably will get drafted, but there's potential for a couple more to get picked in there as well. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be the beginning will be fun for USC fans if they could have three guys go in the first round. And then at the end, too, if any of those guys get plucked up in the late rounds, like you said, it could make it another big, you know, eight or nine, ten guys for USC get drafted again would be pretty crazy. 
Yeah, you know, you you think about the the talent that some of the guys have at the top, and then there's going to be some really good finds uh, with the USC guys down at the later rounds that that are really going to impress teams and and I think make an impact, uh, you know, maybe further down the road. But there there'll still be solid NFL guys, and you know, certainly Pete Carroll in Seattle. Uh, you just never know what you know. Maybe he overrates some of the USC guys. Maybe he underrates them, and and so you can see uh, you know USC turning back into or Seattle turning up into USC North with some of these guys that are uh, undrafted or later round guys. Yeah, he's already picked up a couple guys. Uh, you know, gave them tryouts and stuff. We'll see Mike Williams up there. See if he can make the squad. So the the, the whole the Pete Carroll factor makes this draft even more interesting just because of that you know Seattle connection. So. A lot of reasons to watch the NFL draft. It will be on tomorrow night in primetime, Thursday night, uh, April 22nd. Brian Fisher joined us talking all about the draft. Thank you very much for all your insights, Brian. No problem. I look forward to uh, checking out the draft and you know juggling uh, the practice and the scrimmage on Thursday and Saturday, too. Yeah, lots going on. USC's practicing two of the three days of the draft, so we'll be busy out there on uscfootball.com but check it out go to uscfootball.com we'll have all the latest on the draft and everything and we can analyze all of that next week on the podcast but thanks again brian and everyone else thank you very much for tuning in you are listening to the peristyle podcast we will talk to you next week You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 